0: I don't want to continue uh, the theme of the conference uh, in this message, uh, though it uh, ties into it a bit. I want to shift gears and talk about the uh, God's sovereign calling upon this church, but I do want to make one last statement, if I may, about moving in the realm of the miraculous, and that is that uh, miracles, when God wants to do miracles, they don't always happen at a convenient time for you. Um, a lot of times, uh, not only when I'm home, but uh, when I'm on the road even, sometimes people ask, can I go to a hospital, pray for a person, or sometimes to a house, things like that. And, uh, you know, my preference is like, you know, the, the conference we've just had or a meeting like this morning to pray for people in that environment because, uh, you know, there's hundreds, I don't know if we can do something about the reverb coming back at me, but uh, when there's hundreds of people or a thousand people or whatever that have faith, it's like a, a wave that's real easy to ride. But uh, one thing I want to encourage, about you, encourage you about is, you know, when you are with a big crowd in a worship environment, everybody generally feels good and you are excited about the Lord, but when you're going through it and things are challenging, all of a sudden an opportunity presents itself, a divine appointment to share the gospel or prophesy over a stranger or pray for someone who's just, uh, you know, maybe got terminal for cancer, it may come at a very inconvenient time. And you may be stressed out, you may be rushed, you may have a million things on your mind, and you don't feel like it at the moment. But one thing you need to know is faith is not feelings. Faith is what you do in obedience to God, despite the outward situation, despite your feelings. I uh, talked briefly with a young woman last night, uh, told me she'd heard me in, I think, uh, Glasgow, Scotland, a number of years ago. And uh, had done a lot of the years in Scotland, but when she told me that, I was uh, my mind dropped back to some meeting I did several years ago in Livington, Scotland. And we had three churches come together and did three nights, and uh, it was rough going. Uh, I think it was based upon those meetings that the term dour Scotsman" was created. They were dour. They, it was hard-going. I was saying, "Lord, if ever I had the breaker anointing, it's on vacation right now." We finally had a breakthrough that third night, but uh, you know, by third night, I was just ready to get out of there and move on. And uh, to make matters worse on that worse on that third night with these churches together, uh, there were three teenage girls sitting kind of in the middle near the back that were talking very loudly throughout the whole message. I mean, people you know four or five rows away were turning looking they were very disruptive and you know when you uh, speak from the pulpit and things like that happen, you first you try to be diplomatic and Then you try to, you know, just uh, somehow say something or do something. Then you start throwing rocks at them, you know. But uh, finally, I just had enough. Everything had piled up together. And I said, uh, you three girls. I said, they looked at me at that point. I said, if you need to talk, that's cool. But go out and do it in the foyer. We're trying to stay focused on the word of God here. And you're disrupting a lot of people right now. And uh, as you can imagine, they weren't thrilled about that. In fact, they were quite angry. They glared at me the rest of the meeting. You could see their veins bulging like ropes, you know, and all of that. So we go on, and we get through the meeting somehow, and I'm packing up, ready to go. And uh, a woman of the church brings up one of the three girls, and she's just angry at that. Uh Uh-oh, we're going to have some sort of confrontation now. And then she says... um, Hi, I'm with one of the churches, and I reach out to runaway kids living in the streets. And these three girls are runaways living on the streets. They've never been to church before. And at that point, I'm feeling really good about myself. (laughs) And uh, she says, uh, this young woman, who is very much glaring at me, I might add, uh, she ran away from home when she was 12 years old. She's extremely dyslexic, came from very broken family. Her father and mother always told her she was stupid. Her classmates told her she was stupid and was failing at school. She's been living in the streets now for four or five years. And uh, she said, would you pray for her that God would do a miracle and heal her of a dyslexia? (laughs) Uh, To say that I felt a mountain of faith at that point in time (laughs) would be just a gross, absurd exaggeration. To say that I felt a mustard seed of faith at that time would be a bit of an exaggeration. But I'm kind of on the spot. I didn't want to say, no, I'm not going to pray for you. That would have made things worse. So I said, do you want me to pray for you? And she kind of reluctantly says yes. So I put my hand on her head and just prayed, you know, Lord, in the name of Jesus, I rebuke the spirit of dyslexia and I bless the brain how it works with the synapses and everything how the brain is wired to be rewired and to function perfectly. She told me that she had never been able to read more than two words in a row without stumbling uh, horribly. So I put it to the test, and I opened up to uh, one of those chapters, I think, in Deuteronomy that has these and those and thoseest and thisest and wasn't it and all, the, all that stuff. And I said, well, let, let's see what you can read. And she read two per, uh, ver, two, uh Paragraphs perfectly, just perfectly. And she is just in absolute shock. She's never been able to do this. And you can imagine what that meant for her future possibly going back to school, you know, having a good job, all sorts of things that had never been there before. But I tell you this example because, again, Faith is not what you're feeling at the moment. It's not whatever good vibe you're experiencing or do you feel good because they've sung your favorite worship song for 45 minutes in a row, you know, all that sort of thing. But it's trusting God as the God who he says he is and what he's prompting in your heart, which is sometimes be very different from the emotions. Do, do you get this? Yes. You know, it, it's great to have a conference on miracles. And it's great to have the testimonies we've had the last three days of what God has done. I love the one about the word of knowledge and the lady watching the podcast and, and somewhere else she falls asleep. And during the word of knowledge about bad news, she wakes up, her knees are healed. That's going to a different level, you know. But uh, maybe you can fall asleep during a sermon and still get... The, no, I won't say that. But... Uh, um, There's no limitations with God, but we have our part to play. So, I want to talk about uh, the dusty and calling upon you all as a church. And if you're here from another church, uh, take it for yourself. Just uh, say, Lord, would you do this as well in our church? A number of years ago, um, I was speaking at a large conference, and it was just a really glorious moment. I'd, I'd finished speaking, and I... Uh, invited the Holy Spirit just to come and uh, just rest upon people. And there was one of the conferences, there were several thousand people, and there was kind of like a, a holy hush over the crowd. The band was still, and, and you could see hundreds, thousands of people all over just caught up in a sense of the glory of God, the goodness of God. And I was just uh, spellbound, just watching this, you know, just people... Uh, caught up in the Lord. And, uh, you know, there's, there's at times when the Lord says things to you that you know that you can't answer the question he's asking or understand what he's saying because you're not on his level, but he speaks to you as though you are. I love what it says in the Old Testament that it's the glory of God to conceal a matter, but it's the glory of kings to search out that matter. And that's a huge What of the prophetic is. God gives us these symbolic pictures and words, and then we sometimes spend years unpacking that. But uh, as I'm watching all this, the Lord said to me, Mark, many, many people of your generation, the younger generations, are soon going to be walking in the holiness of realized destiny. And, you know, um, I may be slow, but I know how not to look dumb. You know, I said, oh, Lord, that sounds great. And the Lord is just pausing. You know, he he realizes I don't have a clue as to what he's saying. But I said, Lord, what is the holiness of realized destiny? And he gave me a picture of Moses uh, watching, after 39 years, watching his father, Jethro, his father, uh, Jethro's, I think it was, sheep. And all of a sudden, up on the mountaintop, he sees the bush burning and burning, but not consumed. And he left the sheep and he turned aside and went up the mountain. And I saw this taking place, and then as he came into the presence of the Lord, just as it says, the Lord said to him, Take off your shoes, you're standing on holy ground. And the Lord began to unpack to me that our understanding of holiness, a list of do's and don'ts, well, I used to do this, and now I don't, and I do do this, and I didn't, you know, all that... That's, that's really just the smallest part of what biblical holiness. Biblical holiness, I believe, means three things. One, it ble- means to embrace the person of Christ because he is our righteousness. We're found in him if we've given our lives to him. Number two, it means to embrace the ways of Christ. That's what discipleship is all about, to walk in his footsteps. But three, it means to embrace the specific will of God the Father for your life. Moses is a very young man. When he was, as Spielberg (laughs) called him, a prince of Egypt, you know, very wealthy, prestigious, part of Pharaoh's household, he'd had a sense, maybe, that God wanted to use him to lead, you know, two and a half million people out of slavery into freedom. But not knowing God, he didn't have a clue as to go about it, so he ended up uh, accidentally killing one of the Egyptians, and then he ran for his life. And spent the next 40 years in total obscurity with a Bedouin tribe out in the middle of nowhere. But yet, when he had that encounter with God, that's when he was commissioned and anointed, called out and released to walk in the destiny that God had always intended for his life. And to God, it was a very holy moment. And so, yes, holiness does have to do with letting loose of the ways of the world, walking the ways of Jesus. But it also has to do with saying, Lord, here am I. What do you have for me to do? And when those times of commissioning come, when that times of release come, just like Moses on the mountain, it is holy. God's sovereign purposes for this world his desire to give the nations and inheritance to Christ, but also his specific will for your life and my life. It is holy unto him. And I I have a sense in the Holy Spirit, there's a church right now, you're in, I'm not talking about this exact moment or this weekend, but maybe the last couple of months, but what's going to take place in the next couple of months. You are in a holy moment with God. You, uh, as a church, although there's different chapters and seasons in every church, and we're to go from strength to strength and glory to glory, you are in a season where I believe you're being commissioning and released to really walk on a much fuller degree of the destiny of what God's called you to. Revival is a very trivialized word in the charismatic and Pentecostal church. So a church will have two or three nights of good meetings and say, oh, we experienced revival. But yet, when you study church history and authentic revival, revival does not mean just good meetings within the four walls of the church, but it means transformation to the community and the population around us. I'm a, I'm a bit of a student of revival, and I've had the privilege of internationally in the Uh, 40 years plus, I've known the Lord being part of four or five different revivals uh, around the globe. But as I I study church history, my favorite revival that's happened uh, in the last 100 years or so is the one that happened in the Outer Hebrides. And uh, that was uh, those islands off the north of Scotland. And it took place in 1949 and lasted, I think, until late 1952. But I've got a couple of books that are out of print, and these books are testimonies comprised of people that lived and experienced the revival at that time. And they came up with a definition of revival that just blew me away, but I thought, this is it. They said revival is when the community around the church begins to have a God consciousness, an awareness of the presence of the Lord, not just when we're in a spirit-filled worship environment, But the people around us, the spillover, the move of the glory of God is just uh, so beyond it, you know, what we normally experience. And, uh, you know, I've I've had the the privilege of of, uh, Kim and I having a history with you all as a church, I think, for six years now, six or seven years. But, um, Alan, could you come on up? Um, in? Uh, 2014, we did a series of meetings. I think we started on a Thursday or a Friday, but did Friday, Saturday, Sunday morning, Sunday night. And uh, it was a good time, but Sunday night during worship, I, I leaned over to Jeff and I said, Jeff, um, I, I just have a sense God has more for us. And I said, I'm, I'm just saying that Kim and I are available. We could stay another day if you want to do something Monday night as well. And Jeff got up after worship and announced we we're going to have another meeting. And Jeff called me um, at 10 o'clock um, in the midst of the staff meeting here, called us to the hotel and told us what had happened, that the staff had been talking about the weekend, but uh, the meetings, but also the idea of having um, another meeting. And some people were thrilled about it. Some people were glad for the meetings they'd had, but saying, oh, gosh, do we need another one? And uh,
1: Alan, why don't you just tell what happened? So we're in, the, in our all-staff meeting. Alan
0: is not a dour Scotsman, by the no, way. No, I was
1: at that meeting that you were talking about. Were you? Yeah, I was there where you were rebu- rebuked those three girls. I thought the rapture was about to happen. I was like, ah. uh, But anyway, we're in this staff meeting, and uh, I'm sat there.
0: Thanks thanks for losing the moment there.
1: <laughs> come back, Holy Spirit, come back. And I have my phone in front of me, and we're, we're, we're as Mark's saying, we're debriefing the weekend. And to my chagrin, my phone lets out this little, the only way I can describe it is like an old Nintendo Game Boy, this 8-bit sound of a trumpet call. And like, just—and I'm like, what? And my screen hasn't lit up. And as I'm thinking, what was that? I was hoping it was somebody else's phone. really clearly, this loud male voice says, it is God's plan to bring transformation to your city. And then that was it. And so everyone's looking at me, and I, I pick up my phone. My phone's been in front of me on the table. It never lit up. There's nothing on the notification screen. Uh, my phone, the ringer is off. My volume is down. Uh, I, like, I open up to see what apps I have open, because I'm thinking, as, as, you know, have I queued up an old YouTube video, or is it buffered? Is something, something happening? Nothing opened.
0: And so we're all... In other words, it was an impossibility.
1: An impossibility for me. And here's the thing. I'm kind of the nerd at at Gray Center. If it had happened to anybody else's phone, I would have explained it away. Like, ah, it was this, it was that. It was a nice thing. But it was my phone. I know my phone. I know what apps I have. And we couldn't explain it. And, uh, yeah, that's the end of that story.
0: It is the will of God for you as a church, as well as other churches, but it's the will of God for you as a church. To bring transformation. Not just have good meetings. Although it's better to have good meetings than bad meetings, isn't it? (laughs) But it's the will of God that you bring a a transformation, a revival to the community around us. There was a a story, and I referred to it when I was talking about Signs and Wonders the other night um, in Daniel about uh, Belshazzar. Belshazzar, who was uh, one of the kings after Nebuchadnezzar, and he was very evil, very given over to hedonistic ways. And as they were having this huge, drunken, debauchery party going on, all of a sudden this giant hand appeared on the wall that everybody saw and wrote letters uh, that were inscribed on the wall, which was Judgment is here, and you are found wanting in the balance. It was a very holy moment unto judgment. But yet, I believe that what took place in that staff meeting in 2014, and where you are seasoned season right now, is a very holy moment as well. Not holy unto judgment, but holy on stepping into your destiny. And they didn't have iPhones back in the day of Daniel, but the writing on the wall, everybody saw it in that staff meeting. Everybody heard what they should have been hearing, a sign and a wonder. There was a a church in the Midwest that, after uh, Kim and I moved from Toronto back to the States, we worked with for a number of years. And um, basically, uh, although it was based out of one church, uh, they'd want to be there to work with three churches, really, doing things in unity. A large assembly of God church, a vineyard church, and a Baptist church. And we were doing conferences together. We were doing wor- special one-night worship events, many of them together. We would do prayer meetings together, all sorts of things. And I was helping to coordinate that and lead a lot of that and minister at a lot of that. But the very first one we came to when we embarked on this journey with them, Kim and I uh, drove down from uh, Toronto, or flew down, I can't remember, and... Uh, uh, we were starting Sunday morning, Sunday morning meetings, and Sunday night, Monday night, Tuesday night, and maybe Wednesday night. And I was up early Sunday morning praying for the first message, saying, Lord, what do you want me to focus on starting this first, uh, first meeting? importance, important, it's the launching pad. And the Lord said this to me, Tell the church of the city that they are pregnant with revival. But the baby of revival will not come the normal way. And if they try to bring the baby revival the normal way, they'll lose the baby. And then he said, they need to learn to elevate their hearts above their heads. So I spoke that, uh, stretched it out a little bit, Uh, gave a variation of it Sunday night, But Monday morning, the senior pastor of one of those three churches, his daughter, was ten days past due. Decline. That was actually, everything's turned off. Wow, that's bizarre. You're contagious. (laughs) But uh, uh, where were we? Uh, Ten ten days past due with their first child, uh, the pastor's daughter. So uh, she and her husband and uh, the uh, mother and fathers and all of that, they went off to the hospital, got her ready in the room. They gave her the medication to induce labor, and she's on the hospital bed. They have a band around her stomach to um, uh, monitor the baby's heartbeat. And within just half an hour, the baby's heartbeat stopped. And they went into an emergency situation, and uh, the doctor came running in, quickly assessed the situation, and he said, here on the bed, I want you to get you on your knees, but put your head flat on the bed. He said, I want you to elevate your heart above your head. And when she did that, the baby's heartbeat came back, (coughs) and they... Did the probing or whatever they do And they determined that they couldn't deliver the baby the normal way So they did a C-section And they found out if they had tried to do the baby Bring the baby out the normal way They would have killed the baby Because the umbilical cord was wrapped three times around the neck This was a living picture That senior pastor shared it The whole story Monday night Because it was a symbolic living picture of what I prophesied, or the Lord had given me, that we are pregnant with revival, but if we try to deliver the baby the normal way, we'll lose it. But we've got to elevate our hearts above our heads. The sad thing about that story is the church of that city, as far as I know, never really has come to any form of revival. Um, A lot of stuff took place, some unhealthy stuff, but they tried to keep doing business as normal, according to their own traditions within their movements. And although, you know, life goes on and God blesses, but the, the, the baby of revival has never been birthed there. You have an amazing call upon you here at Grace Center. And part of it is to put on display the fire of God's presence. That means a lot of things. I'll try to unpack that a little bit. But in Hebrews 12, verses 25 through 29, <clears throat> The writer says, see that you do not refuse him who is speaking, meaning God. For if they did not escape when they refused him who warned them on earth, how much more will we escape if we reject him who warns from heaven? At that time, his voice shook the earth. But now he has promised yet once more I will shake not only the earth, but also the heavens. This phrase yet once more indicates the removal of things that are shaken. That is, things that have been made in order that the things that cannot be shaken may remain. How many of you know we are very much internationally living in a time when everything that can be shaken is being shaken? The economies of the world, the politics of the world, what we're seeing, the tension in North Korea, the tension between uh, Iran and Israel, the political tensions in our own country, what's happening in England, what's happening in Europe right now. We're just living in a key, pivotal time. But yet Jesus said, in a time of wars and rumors of wars, do not let your love grow cold. Do not let your love grow cold. Because this gospel of the kingdom must be preached to all peoples. And this is an incredible time. And it's a time when, despite the shaking, it's a time when those things that are going to remain are being strengthened. Verse 28, therefore, let us be grateful for receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken. And thus, let us offer to God acceptable worship with reverence and awe, for our God is a consuming fire. Our God is a consuming fire. Heaven and earth will pass away, but the kingdom of God will stand forever. What you have to offer the church is many, many things. It's, it's not my part to unpack all of that. I, I, I just don't know about so much that you do and you offer to the community. But I do know this, that you're called to put on display the fire of God's presence. And um, this visit, with uh, for me, I've been here a number of times now ministering, but it's been unique because it started Thursday night, but also Friday, and last night as well, I I kept seeing visions, as it were, of pillars of fire throughout the room. And uh, I thought about it, prayed about it, looked at some of the passages. I commonly think about the fire of the Lord, such as the pillar of fire by night that accompanied the Hebrew people in the wilderness, or the fire before the throne of God that Revelation talks about in different aspects. But uh, there's a fire... Of God's consuming presence, His holiness and His goodness—it's a—it's a calling, a unique calling. God wants every church to walk in the ways of God, but like some churches have an outstanding uh, capacity to teach and preach the Word, maybe in expository ways, or other churches have a call—an amazing, uh, unique call for evangelism above what many other churches have, and so on and so on. But you have this amazing call with your worship to make a resting place for the wonder of his presence. With the church, another church my wife and I did a lot with in Ohio. Uh, I used to do special Wednesday night meetings there when I was in town and we were having one of those Wednesday night meetings and we do a lot of ministry and you couldn't know everybody in the church but I saw a woman come forward during the ministry time that I didn't recognize and um, she Looked like she'd been doing heroin for many, many years. She looked about thirty-nine, going on seventy-five. You know, just really beat up and consumed. And uh, she came forward and got ministry during that the time that night. And uh, I didn't pray for her, but when the meeting was winding down, I I, uh, I followed her and I walked up, introduced myself, and she recognized me. I'd spoken, but I said, uh, um, uh, "Are you new to the church?" And she said, uh, this is the first time I've walked through the doors of a church in over 25 years. And I said to her, "Um, uh, yeah, you look like it. No, I didn't say that. (laughs) But I I said, you look so serious. (laughs) But I said to her, "Um, did you experience the presence of God uh, when they prayed for you tonight or during worship? And she said, well, yes, but actually she said, when I walked into the doors of the church in the foyer, she said, I, I had this goodness come over me that I've never experienced before, and, and it's, it's still there. And that's what you have to put on. That's in the banqueting table the Lord wants to set. What you have to offer is the fire, the consuming fire of God's presence. And you think, well, you know, when it comes to the destiny, the calling, uh, Mark, you know, we have... The keyboard player, the guitarist, the singers, and the different musicians, and the dancers, and the painters. But Mark, I'm a banker. I'm a lawyer. Or I'm a teacher. Or on this or that. Romans 12, chapter one and two, or Romans chapter 12, verses one and two. Paul wrote, "I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship." See, worship is not just what we do when we come together, lifting up holy hands and singing words of thanksgiving and adoration. That's a key part of it, obviously. But worship is Monday morning through Saturday night, and even on Sundays, laying down our lives and saying, God, here am I, use me. And as a living sacrifice, you're worshiping God when you're working in that bank or you're working on cars if you're a mechanic or you're a teacher, a carpenter, or whatever you may be doing if you're a stay-at-home parent for your neighborhood, that through our lives being surrendered to God and allowing the consuming fire of God's presence to change us, to heal us, but also just to shake off the stuff that needs to be shaken off. Paul continued in verse 2, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. So you by testing, you may discern what the will of God is, what is good and acceptable and perfect. I believe that in the Western world right now, we're in a season, and this may be true for you as a church as well, where God is wanting us to tear down idols strongholds in our culture that have invaded and impacted and in some degree permeated the church. I want to speak for a little bit about Gideon. That uh, I'm not going to tell the whole story, which is remarkable, but Gideon was really released in things when he met the fire of God's presence. But at that time, although the the Hebrew people were not living as slaves to the Midianites, they were overrun by the Midianites. and The Midianites would come in and burn off their crops, chase off their livestock, and many of the Hebrew people were actually living in caves in the mountains and just, you know, really overrun. But God raised up this young man, Gideon, and uh, the first thing he said to him as Gideon started realizing the purposes of God was, take your father's bull and the second bull, seven years old, and pull down the altar to Baal, which is in your Father's community. Every community, every state, every region has its own areas of idolatry. Where Kim and I come from in California, the idolatry is pleasure. And whether it's uh, pervert practice here or there, or drugs, or <coughs> um, you know, where we live in San Diego, you can be in a beautiful desert area, on dune buggies or whatever, hiking within 90 minutes. You can be in the mountains in 45 minutes. You can be at the beautiful, some of the best beaches in all of California and San Diego. You can be surfing. There's our, our culture, not just the Hollywood and music entertainment industry there, but our culture is given over to entertainment and pleasure. And uh, even in with the body of Christ, it can be, get hard to motivate people to get people together for special things like this because everybody's—they want to be entertained. They want to do this and that, and that factor can even play into sometimes church life. There's so much you can do there, but I believe the one of the key idols here in this area, Franklin, um, uh, Nashville, especially, and it's around here is the idol of personal success. You've got artists that have come here from all over the world to make it to be successful. You've got people in business and arts and media that come here to be successful. And one of the ways we we tear that idol down is by realizing that God's route to personal success is so completely contrary, counterintuitive to the world. Jesus said, if you want to come after me, pick up your cross daily and die to yourselves. Then you will bear much fruit. And so in the midst of the things God calls you to do, and good, you could be called to be an artist. You could be called to be that banker, that teacher, that mechanic. That could be your God-given spirit of influence for the kingdom. But in the midst of that, it's not all about us just making a name for ourselves and having a certain amount of, of dollars coming in, but it's living a laid-down life of, oh, God, I'm here for you. And that's what breaks the strongholds in the church. But it also, the light of God's presence begins to touch the community around us. And so as God raised up Gideon, he first tore down that idol. But then he gathered an army. And the army he had was approximately 32,000 men. And that sounds very impressive, but the army of the Midianites and the Amalekites that had joined them was probably around seventy to eighty ninety thousand somewhere between two and three times as much and If that sounds like a lot when you read through Old Testament history, it was common sometimes for armies to have eighty ninety thousand people. They were just huge, awful events and it says in judges chapter seven, verse twelve. The Midianites and the Amaclites and all the people of the East lay uh, along the valley like locusts in abundance, and their camels were without number as the sand that is on the seashore in abundance. So again, Gideon's army is, is you know, outnumbered two to three to one. <clears throat> as we look at sometimes the influence of the world's culture, really satanic uh, values in the culture around us, we think, well, the church seems so small. But I tell you, God is in the history of doing amazing things with small groups of people. The greatest event that ever happened in the world took place in a stable. Very few people knew about it, but it's impacted all of mankind to one degree or another. And that impact is growing and growing and growing. The prophetic word when we first moved to Toronto We'd only been there five days, speaking at a prophetic conference. The prophetic word the Lord gave me in May of 1992 was God was going to pour out his spirit like Niagara Falls coming from heaven over the city of Toronto, and it's going to go to the nations. Well, we didn't have a clue what that meant, but our church took that and prayed into that, and they estimate from the time the outpouring began in late, in, uh, late January '94 till five years later, Possibly somewhere between four and five million people from all over the globe walked through the doors of our church. But yet, when we received that prophecy, we were only a couple hundred people. I can think back to the church that Kim and I helped start in San Diego in 1986, that now we're back with. But we'd started in '86, and we we had this huge uh, mod scene going on, like in the 60s in England, happening in San Diego with teenagers. And uh, the punk movement was still going on to a degree. And we began to see a lot of these kids saved. And so we grew from about uh, 200 to three or 400. And uh, we had just gotten into a brand new building, and everybody was tired from remodeling the building. We'd spent every penny we had. And this uh, leaders' meeting, elders' meeting, was probably just, I don't know, a few months before Kim and I moved to Toronto but one of uh, uh, the two guys that Kim and I had started the church with, he said, well, I don't know how everybody's going to feel about this, but I feel like God has uh, given me a word that we're supposed to really target in a, in a unique way junior high and high school kids off campus. Because we'd all come out of the Jesus movement when we were seeing tens of thousands of people in their teens and uh, early and late 20s saved." But 15 years later, there was a serious part in California. And there's parts of San Diego, California that are beautiful, big expensive homes, beautiful beaches and hills and all of that. But where our church is at in the far eastern part of San Diego, there's gang activity, there's a lot of drugs, a lot of alcohol, a lot of broken families, low income, and all the stuff that goes with that. And we were seeing just young kids Latchkey kids, no, no safe home to go to after school, being sucked into gangs, sucked into drugs, and everything else. And so we said, Well, what, what do you feel God's given? He said, Well, I think we're supposed to rent a storefront property, a building off campus, and we're supposed to train some people in our church in doing uh, relational evangelism in a low key way, and we're to fill it with ping pong tables, pool tables, electronic games and have some snacks here and give these kids a safe place to come to after school hours so they're not sucked into the life on the streets. And so we didn't have the money for it, but we did it. We committed $10,000 we rented this place and trained some people. I mean, we weren't that big a church, and we trained like 15 or 20 people to just be available to talk to the kids, and there were just a few rules. You couldn't bring any uh, guns or knives in, couldn't get any fights, and... (laughs) but we trained people just to be available to talk to them because a lot of these kids had no parents that they could really talk to. And uh, I, I remember about nine months, ten months later, after we moved to Toronto, I was home in between trips. My phone rings, and it's, uh, one, it's that, that uh, particular pastor with us that had, had that vision. He said, you won't imagine what happened today. I said, what happened? He said, well, I was in the church uh, office working on a message at 10 o'clock this morning. The secretary buzzed me and says, there's a guy who doesn't go to the church, and he really wants to talk to you, but he doesn't have an appointment. And he said, well, tell him I'm busy, and it's not a good time. And she said, no, he's very insistent. So he came out, met the guy, and the man said, I don't go to your church. You don't know me, but I've heard what you're doing for teenagers in the city. I want to help. And he wrote out a check for $10,000. That very same day at two o'clock in the afternoon, the secretary buzzed him again and says, there's somebody that says they don't go to church, but they want to talk to you. This time he came running out of the office. (laughs) And it was another business person that said, I've heard what you're doing for teenagers in the city. I want to help. You wrote a check for $50,000. All of a sudden we went from not having money to do this we started a second one. Today, for the last 20 years, we've had about six or seven ongoing. <laughs> and I'm not exaggerating when I say, of the last 25 years, we've seen somewhere between eight and 10,000 teenagers from broken families come to Christ and go through the discipleship program. And if someone had told us 25, 27 years ago that This would happen. We would just laugh at that. But yet, God gives ordinary people these simple ideas that if we'll plant them through obedience and prayer, you have no idea what they develop into. Today, that program that we call Youth Venture, it's being done by public high schools in Kenya. And two years ago, the estimated over 100,000 teenagers went through that Christ-based discipleship program. And as a result, they've seen a 90% reduction in pregnancy outside of marriage and they've seen a 90% reduction in kids dropping out of school. As we prayed that prayer for missionaries, I thought about, we have a couple from our church that is living full-time in Kenya just to go into the schools and train teachers, secular teachers, how to do a Christ-based discipleship program. And I tell you, God's just looking for people who honor him, his presence, his will, who is saying, here am I, God, send me. And so Gideon had 32,000 men, and God said, you've got too many. I don't want it to go to your heads when I give you the victory. So he said, tell everybody who's afraid to go home. Gideon's thinking, oh, maybe five or 10. 22,000 men packed up and left. So now it's like 10 to 8, 10 to, or 1 to 8, 1 to 9 odds. He's got us 10,000. The Lord said, it's still too many. He said, take them down to the river and watch how they drink. And the Lord said, keep the ones that kneel down, but raise the water like a cup to their mouth. Keep those, but, send, but those that just put their face in water, send them home. I was praying through this several years ago because I said, well, Lord, what's the real deal here? They were both in the river, drinking of the water, you know. But the Lord allowed me to see this from the eyes of one of the men who was putting his face in the water and said, Mark, what do you see through his eyes? Well, I see the river. He said, no, look more closely. And I realized what that man was focused on was his reflection. One of the real strongholds In the United States today, I believe, is the spirit of narcissism. Rather than people surrendering their lives to the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, it's all about me, myself, and I. And I think there is something to be said for identity politics because there have been groups that have been marginalized historically that we need to address those injustices. But when we allow identity politics and identity thinking to govern everything, It's all of a sudden, we're championing on a huge level, division. And it's all about me. It's all about what I want rather than laying down your life. What are your needs? How can we as a whole people come into wholeness? Historically, America has had an awful lot of problems. We're all aware of that. But historically, especially over the last 50, 60 years, there's been a real concrete movement towards us as a whole, and that's being torn apart right now in a huge, huge way. And we can get, even in the life of the church, it's all about me, what I want. No. Jesus says, pick up your cross daily, die to yourselves. And there's been several paintings done out of the Greek, uh, uh, mytholo- uh, mytholo- <laughs> he could have been doing crystal meth but uh, mythological <laughs> narcissists of just staring in that pool and according to the Greek story he couldn't find anyone he loved as much as he loved himself his own reflection and so he stared and stared and stared into that pool until he died of dehydration and and. Uh, lack of food, and we see in our culture today so many people are so focused on themselves that they do that because they think, as soon as I get built up, then I'll be enabled, I can help other people, but they end up living in this prison of loneliness because that's what narcissism does. It traps us, whereas the root of the cross is to say, not me and mine, but Jesus, you and yours. And so Gideon sent home 9,700 who put their faces to water, and he kept the 300 that were kneeling, looking up. And we're to partake of all the blessings of the river of life, the Holy Spirit, what he's doing, but we're to have an awareness of what the Father's saying to the church, and we're to have an awareness of the needs of those around us. Other than that, it's narcissism. So the battle plan God gave Gideon to come against this army of 70, 80, 90,000 was to take his 300 men, and at night, they surrounded it, and every man was probably just within eyesight of each other, even though it was night spread out in this huge circle. And they took these horns, which is symbolic of making a joyful noise unto the Lord, the Satan hates it when we worship God. But uh, that's symbolic of the worship you have as a church, making this joyful noise that you're, you're so good at to the Lord. But the other factor is they took vases that they had small torches in, and they covered those up. But then there as they surround the enemy, they broke them out, and the light of the presence, so to speak, broke out. And I believe you're in a season right now as a church where God is preparing you to break out the vases in the light of his presence in your lives. Not only here, but in the banks, the, you know, whatever your job may be, whatever your neighborhood may be, whatever your school may be. And as they blew the trumpets and smashed those jars, the enemy went into total confusion. It was a supernatural thing. So I've been seeing these... Pillars of Fire, and as I was praying this morning into this message, I felt like the Lord really gave me some understanding of what I've been seeing. And I want to read to you from Proverbs chapter 9, verses 1 through 6. Wisdom has built her house. She has hewn her seven pillars. That's what I've been seeing, seven pillars of fire, his consuming presence, She has slaughtered her beasts. She has mixed her wine. She has also set her table. She has sent out her young women to call from the highest places in the town. Whoever is simple, let him turn in here. Whoever lacks sense, she says, come, eat of my bread and drink of the wine I have mixed. You have a calling as a church to call people into the presence of the Lord, into communion with the bread of life and the new wine you have a calling to bring people into the presence of the Lord and it continues in this call come eat of my bread, drink of the wine I've mixed, leave your simple ways and live and walk in the way of wisdom wisdom has built her house she has hewn her seven temples God is a consuming fire when Isaiah was caught before, up before the very throne of God. And it's interesting to note that Isaiah was more quoted by Jesus than any of the Old Test, other Old Testament prophets. Isaiah had the most messianic revelation of any of the Old Testament prophets. But as he gazed upon the throne of God, he said, Woe unto me, I'm an unclean man, unclean lips from an unclean people because it's out of our mouths. Our mouths' life or death can come out of them, Proverbs says. But he said, woe unto me. I'm a man of unclean lips. And then he heard the Lord say, who will I send on my behalf? And he said, here am I. And the Lord had an angel come and with tongs pick up a piece of fire. symbolic of God's consuming presence and touch it to the lips of Isaiah and from that time on he was released to be this incredible spokesman for Jesus for the very throne of God it's interesting that on the day of Pentecost when the spirit fell in power they saw tongues of fire resting upon one another because when God's consuming fire comes, all these things that can be shaken, the fluff and the rubble and the stuff that we don't really need, that we're unaware of at the time, but are just tying us down and restraining us, all of that... <laughs> wasn't me. <laughs> if we'll allow it to, all that stuff gets shaken off, gets burnt off, but what remains is the things that are going to stand forever. The kingdom of God, his love, his ways, his healing, his wholeness, his glory. The wonder, as Ian spoke about last night, the mystery of Christ in us, the hope of glory. That's what you have to offer. And I, I can't pretend to even guess at all the strategies God's going to continue to give you to reach out to the community and the things you do, But what I'm saying is right now as a church, maybe the last few weeks, months, and maybe for the next few months, you're in a holy time, even as Moses stood on that mountain. You're in a holy moment, even as when Isaiah stood before the throne of God. And it's time to allow the consuming fire to burn off whatever fluff and stuff that maybe is hindering us from running the race we have before us. You are called to be a people, as I believe the Holy Spirit spoke through that iPad in the same way that the Holy Spirit wrote upon the wall in the time of Belshazzar. I believe you are called to be a people, a transformed people who bring transformation to the community around us. That's a call upon you. And in the eyes of God, in the thinking of God, it is a holy destiny. It is a holy destiny before you. Let's stand. Do we have a keyboard player? Ah, yeah. uh, there he is. What what is your name, sir? Fred. Fred. I've seen you over the years back there playing, and you look like such a good guy. You're the type of guy that you, you look and say, you know, I'd love to sit down and have a... Oh, I better not say that, I'm in church. <laughs> I'd love to sit down and have a coffee with him. <laughs> Bless you, Fred. <laughs> but I did see something on you in, in the first service, and I, I felt like the Lord said this just to encourage you. There is another level of creativity and I believe, songwriting that you're coming into. So. And I, I believe it's, it's, it's a, it's a, it was maybe a strength in, your, in, in you at one time, and I don't know if it's been dormant or not, but I believe there's a new wave of songwriting and creativity. Does that make sense to you? Good, good. When you prophesy over people in front of a crowd, you say, does that make sense? They always say yes. Nobody wants to look, oh, no. <laughs> but uh, thanks for doing what you do. Let's just uh, lift our hands and our hearts before the Lord. Close your eyes if you would. Father, I want to thank you for all the people here, no matter what church they're from, Grace Center or another church or another region. But I want to thank you, Father God, uh, as well, specifically for the call of God you have upon Grace Center, Lord God. I want to ask if Jeff and Becky and Al and AJ, the other leaders, would just come and stand in front right now in the line. I just want to bless you guys right now. If you're on the pastoral team, hopefully you know who you are. If you don't think you're on the pastoral team, you're probably not. (laughs) 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 Should anybody else be up here? Okay. Can we just stretch hands to your leaders here? Father, I want to thank you for the leadership you've given Grace Center why don't you guys just join a hand, all of you in the leadership team? Let's just stretch a hand to them. Got to get a few men to come stand behind them right now as well. And Father, in the name of Jesus, I believe in the midst of celebration of Sunday morning, this is a holy moment, oh my God. And I pray for them as leaders. I pray for Jeff and Becky right now. I ask in Jesus' name. Good job, guys. (laughs) I want to ask Father God, even as Jeff shared a little while ago, praying for ears to hear, I want to pray that they would have prophetic ears to hear. Everything of the next few years you're calling them to do. Fire of God. Fire of God come, Holy Spirit. Fire of God upon you. Jesus, in your own hearts, in your own hearts, in your own souls, not only in your ministries, not only in the church, but, Father, I pray their own hearts may be resting places for the fire of your presence, Lord God. Fire of God, in the name of Jesus. Fire of God, in the name of Jesus. Fire of God. fire on the worship in the name of Jesus, fresh fire, fresh fire on the worship in the name of Jesus, fresh fire on the preaching, fresh fire, Father, I ask on the preaching and teaching, let there be that fire that gripped John Wesley, Lord God. Let there be a fresh boldness in the name of Jesus for proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom of god fire of john wesley there it is right there fire for evangelism fire in the name of jesus fire fire in the name of jesus prophetic fire evangelistic fire in the name of jesus fire in the name of jesus Fire in the house, fire flowing out like lava through the doors of the people of God, through this church, to the community, to the region. Fire of God. Father, fire of creativity in the name of Jesus. Fire. 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 Fire of God. Fire of God. Jesus. Fire, fire in the name of Jesus. I bless this leadership team as you walk with Jesus to lead the congregation into being transforming people. You release transformation. Fire, fire in the name of Jesus. I want to give a simple invitation. And I want to give it without any condemnation whatsoever. Any condemnation whatsoever. Because we're all a family. We're all in a learning curve together. And, uh, you know, we're all growing together and knowing the ways, knowing God and the ways of God. But if you're aware of a habit or stronghold the enemy in your heart, bitterness, anger, unforgiveness, or maybe a practice in your life that you've given yourself permission that you know is is not the heart of God. In the long run, it's destructive. But if you, so to speak, need to take off your shoes in the presence of the Lord, to let loose of the old things you've been walking in. But if, if you're aware that there's some things in your life that God wants to shake loose, that wants to consume in his consuming fire without any condemnation. This is a time of blessing. This is a time of stepping forward, not a time of condemnation. But if that's you, would you just come to the front right now? Just come all the way up. Squeeze in here. I'm going to, you remember that old worship song, Holiness unto Jesus. That's what we're doing right now. This is a holy convocation. We are presenting ourselves, and I know Jeff told me you went through something like this a couple weekends ago, but we're presenting ourselves to Lord, even as Isaiah did, and saying, Here am I, Lord. Send me. Let's all do this, not just people came forward, but let's all hold our hands out to Lord, and would everybody pray out loud after me? Father God, Here am I. Send me. Transform me, Father.
2: Transform
0: me. Burn off what you need to burn off. Burn off what to burn off. Let me shake off what I need to shake off. Transform me so I can be, so I can be a, messenger of transformation. a messenger of transformation. Just allow the Holy Spirit to move over you right now. Just allow the Holy Spirit to move over you. And if I could get some of the leaders in ministry team, to just just put a hand upon people's shoulders and bless them quickly. Just come, Holy Spirit. Fred, go ahead and just uh, take it up. Just allow the Holy Spirit. And I, I want you to know that this is not just a religious exercise, you coming up here for this. God is receiving your life as a living holy sacrifice right now. He's got great joy in that you decided to come forward. And he's, he would say to you, well done, my son. Well done, my daughter. The people in the aisle, just allow the Spirit of God, some of the leaders maybe pray for some of the people in the aisles as well. Let's make sure everybody gets some prayer. Come, fire of, of God. Come fire of the Holy Spirit. Come, fire. Fresh fire. Fresh fire in the house. Fresh fire. Let's make sure everybody just, we just bless them so they is a sign that what They're doing right now. It's received from the Lord. Fire. Fire in the house. Fire. Holy Spirit, we honor your presence. You are not only the God of all comfort but you are a consuming fire. You are not only the God of all comfort, but you are a consuming fire.
2: feel like that kind of like in a correlation with what Mark was talking about, especially with the call that's on the house to give away what we've been given, especially in the face of narcissism. We just got a text from someone from Canada that right now their one-year-old baby is fighting for their life. And they're asking that we as a church would cry out on behalf of this baby. The baby's name is Remy, R-E-M-I, Remy. So Lord, in the name of Jesus, Lord, we speak life over this child right now. In the name of Jesus, we cancel out every assignment in the name of Jesus. We speak to the body in the name of Jesus, the life of Jesus, the life of Jesus. We say no to death. No, in the name of Jesus, we say life, 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 life. Let there be a rewiring in the brain. Let there be a rewiring in the body. In the name of Jesus, come back into alignment. In the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus, come back into alignment. Right now, breath of God, breath of God, breath of God. Breathe, breathe, breathe breathe in Jesus' name, in Jesus' name, in Jesus' name, the fire of your presence go into this body right now, in Jesus' name, the fire of your presence. No weapon no weapon no weapon no weapon no weapon no weapon the name of Jesus command every weapon to drop in Jesus name